This is Jamie Dyer welcoming you to another edition of Watching the Wireless. And I'm joined today by Robin via CleanFeed. How did you get started in radio, Robin? Well, my first, I guess, practical bit of radio where I was actually involved was at university, studying at the University of Westminster on a radio production course, which it was very useful, but I got more experience being involved in the student radio station Smoke Radio, which had just launched not too long before I arrived there. And it was really good fun. It was good to meet a lot of people who shared a similar passion. A lot of them have gone on to do very well in the industry, producing some of the biggest shows on both BBC and commercial radio. It was just a really good way of like learning it. And you're allowed to make your own mistakes and you wouldn't get told off for it well most of the time you wouldn't i'm familiar with smoke radio they uh they are one of many great student radio stations uh, across the country well they've done even better since i left we're getting the station of the year at the sras twice so they've done brilliantly brilliantly well well that explains why the name rings a bell so what what are you doing now uh, are you doing any particular show at the moment well that's interesting that's sort of why i, I got in touch because um I'm not actually doing anything, and this is nothing to do with the current pandemic or anything. It's just um, I haven't done a show for six months since before Christmas, um, and um, I've done a few like little things. I've posted on Mixcloud, but I'm still a bit muddled about them. But um, to give a bit of background, after I graduated from university, I volunteered at a community station in Canterbury on and off for 10 years. That's CSR. And um, unfortunately, they've had a bit of problems themselves. It was very unique in being the one of the few student radio stations to have an FM license. And due to the current circumstances, they've surrendered that license and aim to broadcast online only. But they can't broadcast online at all at the moment because the IT system's been upgraded. But I sort of took a step back from that a quite a long time because in short... I was sort of falling out of love with it. It was a big struggle. It's the difference between that and that smoke was that you were surrounded by a lot of other people who had the enthusiasm, who had the enthusiasm. Whereas when I, in Canterbury, because it's where I grew up for most of my time, I, I didn't have the same sort of affection for it. And because people were changing, different students were coming in year after year. It was a bit tricky and... It was a community station as well. So you had people who lived in Canterbury who weren't studying at either the University of Kent or Christchurch. Um, they could volunteer as well. Some have been there for about well over 10 years. And I think why my problem is, is that I look at radio as more than what it really is. It's disposable in its nature. It's in the same way as either a pizza or um, um, a box of chocolates. You enjoy it while it's there and then it's gone. You don't think about it all the time. And I did. I wanted my shows to like be sort of like something. It, this may be incredibly selfish, but something I could listen back to and think they were really good. And and luckily, most of the other people who listened did. But uh, it just got to a point where I was struggling to enjoy it all, in short. I can't say I, I know exactly how that feels, but I have an idea because I was in a very similar situation um, a couple of years ago. And I feel that for our listeners, we should put a, shine a little bit of context on it. You've actually, um, you're on the autistic spectrum, aren't you? Well, yes, yes. It's Again, it's 
something that um, I'm not scared of admitting, but don't want to embrace. And it comes in a week where there's a lot going on and um, um, regarding diversity. And um, But I'm not wanting to sort of embrace what I've got as a positive. Um, I mean, it's it's good in some ways, but I've always thought it's been a disadvantage to a point because, well, I can't think on my feet at times and I don't appreciate things for what they are, just the enjoyment of going in, doing a show, not worrying about it afterwards because that's what I struggle with. Yeah. Yeah, I I get it. I, I, I understand it um, because I, I'm also on the autistic spectrum and I have struggled at times with, um, you'll have to excuse me for my hesitation because very much I find it difficult sometimes to think on my feet as well, but I have struggled with kind of building things up too much uh, into something a lot bigger than they are and, and putting too much pressure on a single thing. Absolutely. Um, and it might be a good time to explain like um for reasons of like wanting to get into radio you soon realize but um i mean it's been discussed before on the podcast everyone has their influences and at the time you try to sound like them and i used to get excited years ago about the very fast paced style of radio that was pervaded by people like pat sharp yeah. and like um i'm trying to think david kid jensen neil fox almost all of Capital's early 90s lineup, but also I'm trying to think at Radio 1 as well. Bruno Brooks for certain. Oh my goodness, Steve yeah. Steve Wright. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, and I tried to like mimic them, but then again, that style. I mean, I had a recording of Bruno Brooks a few months ago. He made a guest appearance on a special bit of audio. He sounds very different now and people will still get excited, although he doesn't sound as energetic, but he's sort of moved out of presenting. And the thing is, those who people who grew up in the 80s and the early 90s, they'll remember fondly those presenters. But when you look at them now, most of them, I don't think they're as good as they once were. And most of the people I do listen to on the radio the present day, they're a bit more relaxed, they're down to earth. I mean, I'm trying to think of examples. Greg James on Radio 1, I, he's very good at involving the listener, not making it about him, getting the listener involved. And they're often funnier than, than he is at his own admittance. And the same with, um, who else do I enjoy? Mark Radcliffe and Stuart McConey on Six Music. Again, it's very listener-orientated. Maybe not so much as getting them on air, but their interaction drives the show. And they can make the most mundane item sound really entertaining. Not a lot of broadcasters can do that. But if it's done with wit and a feeling that you're belonging it will work it's 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 just something that you just can't do overnight yeah i think it's all well um being inspired but like you say the mimicry i remember that feeling yeah um the feeling when you discover i think when you discover something you go that sounds great i want to do that and you sort of feel like i can be inspired i know people like the pips on on twitter yeah, yeah. Uh, have often said it you know be yourself and pat sharp even said after listening to my demo mm. um a few years ago when i went through that phase he said don't be us <laughs> be you 
And, you know, that's, that's a very important lesson to learn when you're in radio. So do, do you think that when you have done things now um, under your own name, under your own steam, do you think you found your own sound? I think I did eventually when, uh, definitely when I was presenting at CSI in Canterbury and I got a bit more confident. I'd learned to be, rather than sounding really slick, everything had to hit. It doesn't matter if you do talk a load of rubbish, as long as it hits the vocal, that's fine. That's not the case at all. I learned to like to plan my lengths. I even wrote them down in advance. The trick was to make them sound like you're doing it off the cuff. And sometimes I did say stuff that I hadn't written down and that made it even better. But it made it, it was a lot more real and genuine. And I think it got even more so towards the end. And um, it's just a case of like, you need to be around other people who are also good and, and, one of the reasons I think they ditched the FM in Canterbury with CSR was because there wasn't that many members. It was just depleting over... It's just... A, and the problem we, I've got is when a lot of young people are getting into radio, with the exception possibly of those who are on Radio 1 over Christmas, which showed a lot of promise, most of... Uh, some of those who are getting into it end up trying to do the style of radio their mum and dad's listen to. And for me, that's a little bit worrying. If they're happy doing it, it's fine. But it just makes me a little bit apprehensive about the future for the medium. Yeah, I, I think you're right there. Obviously, out, outside of, of radio, I've heard that you do podcasts and, and imaging and, and things like that. Other things to do with audio? Well, yeah, um, um, I, I used to love doing audio imaging. Um, it stemmed from a love of jingles because when I used to present in that style, I even got my own readings of either old jam or Century 21 jingles I heard in the 90s. Brilliantly crafted, very well produced. I couldn't really use them. They didn't fit into my act at all. And 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 But I learnt it sort of spawned off into an interest in audio imaging and I managed to get student radio nominations for what I created at both Smoke and CSR but again I sort of fell out of love with that because I did a work placement at Imager who were the who they still are still are the imaging and jingles arm of Wise Buddha although yeah. I'm not sure if they're still called that they've turned their program making arm into listen more recently so it's difficult to to keep up but it made me realize that what I did was of a slightly lower standard. You had to come up with ideas for scripts very quickly, write them down, have them recorded by like voiceover artists in America and, and adapt them into. And it's all well and good getting that done. I mean, or should I say, if that's not hard enough, you then have to like work with a load of pro plugins, make sure that the voices you've recorded can be heard over the music or effects that you're using. It's not as easy as it might sound like. It's definitely not something you can do just on a free copy of Audacity. It's something that's a lot more advanced using the latest Pro Tools plugins and fair play to those who are good at it. But it just felt very overwhelming and it sort of like discouraged me from wanting to go further. And although I still do tiny bits of stuff now, it's still of a struggle to be as enthusiastic about it now as I was at, when I was at university. Do you find that it comes and goes, kind of the interest? Do you find one day you wake up and you're interested and the next day not so much? It came and went quite a lot during university and yeah. again in Canterbury. And, and 
the over-enthusiasm for it led to, this is getting a bit deep here, it led to a manic episode before what was meant to be my final year. I got sectioned and um, that's, um, it did have a big impact and because I was very involved in the university at, at Westminster at, at Smoke and it took over my life. I got very uh, over optimistic about what was going to happen. I was saying, talking a load of complete nonsense and when, because uh, whether the episode happened in Canterbury and my mum and dad couldn't understand what I was going on about. I, it led to me doing really f ridiculous things. And it meant the experience meant I wasn't well enough to, to do my third year. I mean, I did complete the degree eventually, but it's still, it's, it's still, it's, I mean, the positive of what came out of it was that I used the episode for a project I did with the Indie Folded Wing, who are an amazing indie led by, by the brilliant Karen P, who, in a sea of indifferent radio executives and managers, she's definitely one of the best. And we worked on that and it, and that was a sort of like step in gaining confidence. But after a few setbacks further, it led to me putting my shirt CSR on hold, coming back again and then going away. And it's sort of where I am now. I've not got anything regular going and it's, I mean, it's not helped by the current set of events right now, but that's the present state. Because you were also, alongside autism, you were as well diagnosed with bipolar, weren't you? Yeah, that, well, I should have made that a bit more clear. Is when I was diagnosed after around the time of a manic episode, and you will get loads. I think in the last week or so, so many ignorant comments posted on Twitter saying that autism is an illness, no, it's not an illness, but the negativity that's around it can lead to to mental health issues. And I think that's what sort of happened in my case. Yeah. So you must be really struggling with the current lockdown situation. Well, um, I thought I'd cope all right. But, um, but it's, um, but, and the fact is, although radio is a main interest, there's not a lot I listen to of it in a single day. There's, only about three shows nowadays I make the effort to listen to per week. I mean, and not and and I just find the whole sense that like the I mean there've been some really great things it's done. Anyone, I understand that a normal listener they rely on it for for company and having a familiar voice. But the phrase familiarity breeds contempt can come to place in my part with those who. I've certainly listened to for years and it might just be me. I, I, I've, I get sort of like bored of like the complacency of it for, for a long time. I want to move on to the next thing. And it's just a force of habit in my case. Yeah. I, I can understand that. When you say you used to listen to radio quite often, I mean, what kind of radio are you listening to? Is it like uh, music based, speech based or a bit of both? I think it's been a bit of both throughout my whole life. Cause I've had my parents listening habits. Well, when I lived in London, I had a mother who listened to radio too, which was very different then because it was aiming to an audience who were about twice her age with Derek Jameson, Jimmy Young. And it was awful. I mean, I've, I've listened back to it because you can find old shows on Mixcloud. Some of it was dreadful, but 
um, but we also had Radio 4 on, so I was brought up from some really good comedy programs from an early age, which I still listen to now. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm the clue is one particular favourite. I mean, when I heard it when I was really little, I didn't get most of the jokes, but I got a sense that it was really funny and I got to know it a lot better growing up. And, um, and I listened to a lot of the pop stations, so both Radio 1 and Capital from where we lived in East London at the time. That sounded really exciting. And But nowadays, it's um, I mean, if I listen to a show on a music station, the presenter has got to have something interesting to say or have interesting features to go along with it. And um, I mean, one show that manages to blend really a very well-chosen selection of music from the presenter herself, as well as really good like spoken bits is Lisa Tarbuck's Saturday Night Show on Radio 2 and I mean it'd been one I'd sort of cottoned on too late but um, I, I just really got into it. I, I loved watching her on The Big Breakfast when I was uh, slightly younger and I just liked her humour and she actually has really good taste in music that's very eclectic so you can go from a song by Stan Getz to The Stone Roses from Billie Eilish to Billie Holiday, and she makes it work. It doesn't jar because there's a lot of like smaller community, community stations who, in an attempt to deflect like the narrow playlist from the bigger stations, they try to like play a very big selection of, of tunes and music. It doesn't work because it's not programmed properly. There's a science to it, and only really good presenters who have a knack for choosing really good music can make it work not everyone can no that's right it does take a, a special kind of presenter to sew things together now what one of your reasons for coming on the podcast was you wondered whether people other people were feeling kind of like you do about the medium at this moment in time well yes um um and, and i haven't that seen that many people there they were students who are on my university course who have gone on to other things i mean one went on to become an air traffic controller another presenter who was or student on my course who was a very good presenter done stuff with roundhouse and made some brilliant features for radio one and radio one extra radio four as well she's now working as a um a, she's studying to become a mental health nurse and I don't think there's that many people who are on my course, even though it was one of the very best radio courses at a British university who are, who are still doing radio, but they don't have the same condition as me and they're probably a bit more open-minded into making the big changes. And um, I still have an interest. I still take note of what's going on. I mean, it's brilliant, but they've because I did a lot of internships after I left the university. It's, I didn't get paid for any of them. It's good to see companies like Folded Wing, who I worked with, have gone on to this um, equality initiative. I can't remember what exactly what it is, but they're starting to pay interns for, 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 for their work placements. I do get what you mean there about obviously not being able to let go of it because you feel like there's still something there. I mean, even though the, the radio industry is almost closing up a little bit it's getting slightly smaller and changing shape no it is. you do feel like uh, there is there is something there for me somewhere yeah and that's what 
I mean, there aren't really podcasts, but that's what my series of audio retrospectives, what radio used to sound like, aimed to cover. It was a series of, initially it was a selection of audio, my tape recordings from about 20 years ago. But it then sort of stemmed off into a look at an oral history of like of British radio. It's not coherent. It's not an exact... Ex- a concise history of the medium. I mean, that's what David Lloyd's podcast is for. But mine is um was a look at um at, at certain things, bits of like radio that I found entertaining, and certain interview clips, but um and bits of comedy that sort of like showcase a particular time in radio, going from two thousand up to twenty nineteen, and there probably won't be more of them until the end of this decade because the last series I did covered the period from 2010 to 2019. And if you think of what happened over then, it will be interesting to see what's going to happen. I mean, just this year, there's been an awful lot happening. Yeah. Oh, it's it has had so many changes. And of course, I, I don't blame you for feeling worried, but it does sound like you do still have this this very um they, they use the phrase in autistic circles intense interest don't they oh that's more than an exact yeah. yeah that's kind of that's the phrase that they that they tend to use and certainly radio for a long time was mine and you you eventually find other things but you do still hang on to it there's still a little bit there yeah and i have to say um this is the first time we've spoken i've listened to yeah. some of your stuff and you've got such a calming voice it's like a i i know we said earlier about comparing to others but you're almost like a young bob harris <laughs> I, well, it's interesting because um, there was a, another broadcaster who Roger, no, Bob Harris was a big, another broadcaster who Bob Harris was a big fan of, who he took over from on Radio 1, Roger Scott, who I listened back to a lot of his shows and the way he programmed his shows was brilliant, but he also has a good way of words and he had a very good voice. I mean, he did have a sort of a Sean Connery sort of putting an H to his ashes. But a very great presenter who unfortunately died at only forty six years old because of um of cancer. But I, but it does answer a question as to who my favourite ever broadcaster on Radio One was Roger Scott, and he's not one of the most well known presenters. He was only on there for eighteen months because he joined after leaving Capital because he wasn't happy with what Richard Park was doing to it, making it what it is now, becoming a pop station, and and. It was just, I mean, we all have our influences, but um, but yeah, it's interesting. He he made a series of documentaries, didn't he? Classic albums. Um, what led to, not directly, but what was an influence for the television series. And that was with a guy called John Pigeon, who died a few years ago. But at my station, not my station, but at CSR, we used to have an award, which was under John Pigeon's name for the most innovative bit of radio. And no, the documentaries are really good. It's it sort of like broadened my interest in certain albums and stuff I wouldn't listen to beforehand, like hearing the stories of things like Led Zeppelin Four or the um, New World Record by the Electric Light Orchestra. And because um, when I was at CSR first time, I did a show that mainly played soul and jazzy stuff, Soulful House. When I got a bit bored of that, I took 18 months off, but I came back and did a show that was sort of in the same vein as either Bob Harris or Roger Scott, or maybe, but not as good, 
when Bob Dylan used to have a radio show, the theme time radio hour, which would do a different theme each week. And it was basically an excuse to play some of these stuff by either Kate Bush or Led Zeppelin. And, 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 and there was an awful lot of Todd Rundgren and Laura Nero. So sort of like jazzy seventies rock that I loved. But, um, once that sort of, once the, um, it's that started to dry up, I just sort of like fell out of love with it. And, I mean, as well, at the same time at CSR in Canterbury, I was also helping out at the Fanet Academy FM, which I thought, I'd give it a go. It's near to where I live now in Margate. And that was interesting. It was a good experience. But towards the end, I just got so bored of it because it was a more structured format. It has to be for that audience, very uh, sort of with like pinned features like the traffic and weather. But after a while, it got to a point where if I want to like, leave before 10 minutes before the show's finished maybe i shouldn't be doing it anymore taking all that into account and and speaking honestly and and thank you for your honesty so far with uh with this with this interview it's, it's been wonderful to talk to you and um would you be interested in going in into radio if a station knocked on your door and and i said you know i heard you on that podcast and you sound like a great guy and you sound like you've got lots of experience would you be interested in taking that what's what's your sort of um what's your next step really i don't know what the next step is in regards to radio i think i've done my time of sorts and I don't think I'd be able to cope with the pressure if it was like a paid gig or anything I'm, I'm I mean I did like I'm becoming a producer but then when I realized you have to be a good people person and, and if I need help with someone like with trying to like support me because I live in a supported living house with some well with someone coming to see me every day well Monday to Friday if I need help with the little bits themselves how am I meant to help a presenter who could be very demanding, who might have certain things. How am I meant to make sure they're okay? That's my big worry. And it's it sort of discouraged me from wanting to progress further. And But you mentioned like if someone knocked on your door, when I've spoke to other people about the predicament in Canterbury, they've actually said, we'd love you to be on our community station. We'd love you to do like a syndicated show. That would be even worse on my part because... And fair play to those who are presenting from home in, in these times. If they can make it sound enjoyable. I mean, Ken Bruce every day is doing a daily show from his house in Oxfordshire. I wasn't noticed unless he told me that's how good he is at it. But um, but being able to do that myself, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't sound convincing doing like a show similar to what I was doing at CSR. Yeah, I, I can understand that. And once again, I, I thank you for your honesty and I thank you for coming on the podcast and talking because a lot of the other people that have come on are, are doing shows at the moment but they're really enjoying it that's the difference and if they still are that's I've no problem with it yeah well once again Robin I thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and speaking so openly well, thank you for having me on it's it's I hope this goes further because the guests on here have been really enlightening it's given me different perspectives and whilst i might not get back on the air myself i'm still interested in hearing as it as to how radio continues to develop in the uk